things you never hear at the British Grand Prix. Number 12. Great weather. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed at the British Grand Prix. Well, technically, not actually at the British Grand Prix yet. I would describe this as more being near the British Grand Prix. And joining me for the Gareth Jones on Speed British Grand Prix experience this year is a voice new to the show. No Zog, no Richard, they're off doing other things. Will you welcome please Jonathan Samson? Hey Jonathan. Yeah, the experience so far is a view of a bin, Gareth. That is the truth. We've got a bin, we've got a patch of nettles, we've got a nice tree. It's a lovely tree. It's a very nice tree. We've got a bit of security fencing. The security fence isn't as lovely as the tree. It's more lovely than the bin. (laughs) I should explain, we're at the Virgin Racing Weekend, which as you know, Virgin organised a campsite in Stowe School, where Richard Branson went and I believe was thrown out of. I hope that's not libelous, I understand... (laughs) He did leave that school. It's a great vibe because they have bands playing, they have nice catering, they have nice toilets. How many tents have they put up? I've heard figures between 72, 8 and 100. So I think it depends when they bailed as to when they were putting up. About, about 100, I think, of the big ones. And it took them all day to put the yeah. tents up. We met some of the guys who did that last night, and they started at 7 in the morning and finished at 10 they at night. They were still happy, which is not bad going. And in fact, yeah, I sounded ungrateful of a view of a bin, but no, actually, this is a cracking campsite. Yeah, it's a good vibe here. It really is. If we don't actually manage to get into the race, we're sorted because there's a massive sort of diamond vision screen, other screens are available and now you've sorted out the squishing aspect ratio on that, that's all fine. Yeah, the so. trouble is they were showing practice on the screens here and they were showing a 4x3 picture geek. Yeah. <laughs> and it was stretched and if you know Formula 1 you recognise the shape of the cars, you know, they're not that wide anymore they're taller, so we got that fixed and that makes it, me happy. It was the wheels being not round that slightly gave it away I thought It's a big problem. They roll less well so Jonathan and I are currently waiting at the box office for the circuit transfer. Now, last year the circuit transfers happened from the campsite to, I think, the stow entrance of the circuit on the back of tractors. This year they're going to do it in Discoveries, which is just as well because at the moment it's chucking it down, which is why we've retired to the trees and we're going to put a brolly up to protect our recording equipment. So, we'll... Brolly Foley sounds, come on. Come on. Oh, the top one's still done. Oh, can, can you hear the rain? Listen. There you go. The British Grand Prix, sunscreen and brollies. Things you have never heard at the British Grand Prix, number 14. I got a pair of tickets, lunch, a coffee, some souvenirs, and I've still got enough for my bus fare home. British Grand Prix status update. You were listening to a conversation between Jonathan there and our driver who is... What's your name, sir? It's Nick Hughes. Hey, Nick. Nick's chaperoning us at the moment just past Stowe School in a Land Rover Discovery, which is a very nice way to travel. As you know, I've had one. And we're being taken to the circuit where we're going to be installed in a grandstand. Are we going around the circuit? You're not going in through the back way this year, Nick, are you? Last year it was tractors across the fields. Elected not to do that this year. No, this year we're taking you on the roads and going to take you in through the main gate. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing New Silverstone. Looking forward to seeing The Wing, this massive building. Isn't that funny that, you know, for someone who's interested in cars, one of the things I'm excited about this year is the building that houses the cars. 
But that's what motorsport does, or interest in cars does, I believe. Jonathan, have I ever told you the story of Radar Jim? No, I don't believe you have. Can I tell you the story of Radar Jim? Delighted. I may have told this before in the programme before, but I was introduced to someone called Radar Jim once. And I said, why is he called Radar Jim? I know you have, you can stop now. Yeah. <laughs> Always with a jokes. Radar Jim knew a lot about radar. He could tell the difference between a Type 82 and a Type 82B installation. Oh, right. He went round the country... Impressive. Uh, yeah, taking pictures of radar installations. And he had a slightly far away look in his eyes, I have to admit. And he carried a scrapbook with him all the time. And in that scrapbook uh-huh. were photos of radar. I'm guessing he was quite known to the authorities. Well, I'll come to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you speak to Jim, and not only did he know what radar installations looked like, he knew how they worked. He knew the principles in which radar worked. He knew the names of the people who developed it. He knew Britain's military strategy during the Second World War, which allowed them to develop that kind of technology. He knew about the development of NATO after the Second World War, and he knew the names of the chiefs and the generals. He knew a lot about European politics. He knew a lot about American military spending. But if you ask him what he knows about, he would say radar. But for him, radar was no more than a hook to hang his coat on, as it were. And his coat was a very large coat encompassing all sorts of things. And I think the same with motorsport. You know, you're interested in aerodynamics, you're interested in the physics of tyres, you're interested in the psychology of the drivers and stuff like that. So being a sad motorsport freak like I am and you occasionally are, Jonathan... I, I occasionally lapse, yes. You find what you want in that sport. And you're like me, you like aerodynamics, you know about aerodynamics. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, we were talking this morning about team management, really, and what happened between Button and Hamilton when Button joined McLaren. But how was that managed? And did somebody sit them down and say, right, lads, there are several ways this can go? And yeah, that's a management situation that you come across all over the place. Yeah. And it's not unique to Formula One, it gives an excuse to talk about that in a different context. Yeah. Well, it's a soap for me, there's a whole backstory. You know, it's not just the racing, it's who's managing who, who went where who went where I get a lot from it I never need to watch EastEnders or Coronation Street because I watch motorsport yeah same storyline well almost the same storyline so who's writing the storyline for this year because it's a good one this year oh they've gone they've obviously they've lost their main script editor though, haven't they have you done that gag yet uh, on the podcast we've done the script editor gag we haven't done lost the script editor they gag yet they must have lost the script editor they've gone to what X Factor because <laughs> that's really picked up in terms of how convoluted and contrived it is and Grand Prix sorry they're stuck they don't know who's supposed to win every race, so it's got to be battle. <laughs> Engineer here at the British Grand Prix, number two. I'll just pop back to the car to fetch a brolly. It'll only take a couple of minutes. The unmistakable sound of a distant PA in the wind at Silverstone and my mate Jonathan taking photos with his camera of the Silverstone wing. We're now installed in the Vale Grandstand. So if you know Silverstone, you come out of the Maggots Beckett's complex, you've got a bit of a straight, then you get a, a turn dear at listener, Stone. Dear listener, been, do not be confused. Gareth Jones is cribbing off a map at this point. <laughs> You've got to get it right, because you get one shot at this, so I'm using... I think you're fine. <laughs> I think you'll find that there is a straight man. It does indeed have a name. Yeah, it's not written on here. So you come out of Stowe, and then you get Vale, which is this little left-right kink. 
before you come to the final corner which puts you on the new as they call it international pit straight with the new start finish line the wing it's the first time I've seen it in the flesh. You reckon it's something else, though, don't you? Yeah, OK, so we're talking about how interest in motorsport allows you to talk about other things. Yep. And, and for some reason, it made me think of the work of a guy called Edward Tuft, who, if you haven't seen him, Google him, right? T-U-F-T-E. Absolutely legendary figure in visualising data. And it produces these beautiful books of maps and charts and, and how to visualise data. And one of his ideas is just drawing little graphs to represent a quantity or a property and how it changes over time. This is yeah. sounding like a lecture suddenly, but I'm it's, sure... No, I'm with you. Yeah, bear with me. So he draws these little spark lines, he calls them, and they're a very pretty and elegant way of encapsulating a lot of information. And I think the wing is a spark line representation of Bernie Eccleston's bank balance. That's what it is! So from here it starts off quite low, it dips, it then oscillates a bit, and then it completely flatlines, which obviously is somewhere in the future. Yeah. Uh, of course, from the other side... Not that far before Bernie flatlines. Honestly, we've got five years left. But if you're viewing it left to right, from the pit side it goes... Nothing, nothing, nothing. Spikes a bit, all bit bumpy, and then takes off. So, you know, which one do we believe? The one uh, Bernie wants us to believe. Answers on the back of a twenty-pound note <laughs> to, to Bernie Eccleston, <laughs> FOM London. Yeah, but to add weight to Jonathan's belief system, there. If you look at the wing, it is described by a red line along what would be the gutter, I suppose. And I suppose it's got a gutter there. I mean, what it's got, but it really does look like <laughs> a graph. We've got gargoyles in the shape of Bernie's head. They wouldn't have to distort that image very much to make it look like a gargoyle, there, would they? Really, let's face it. So. We're all set. I should point out that it's not race day today. It's Saturday at the moment. It's about 18 minutes to one. And we're all set for qualifying. Things you'll never hear at the British Grand Prix. Number five. Oh, I hope Alonso wins today. That would be great. I reckon I must be from the Isle of Man, not Wales, because whichever way you throw me, I land on my feet. That's what they say about Manx people, the tri-legs. Because not only we installed him one of the best seats in the house, but I found myself sitting next to a very interesting man. Now, his name's Gavin. Gavin, what's your last name? Aston. And you work for a company who are involved in the Marussia Virgin Racing Team indirectly. That's right, yes. We're one of their sponsors and we support them on a scientific level. So they use our equipment and expertise for analysing the gearbox oil, engine oils and some of the composite materials. So are you testing that at race weekends or is that in testing? I mean, do you have to extract the oil, take the samples away or is this testing you can do at the circuit? You can do it at the circuit. You obviously have to do it at the end of sessions, but you can take a sample of the oil from the gearbox on the engine and analyse it in situ at the circuit, yeah. So what is it, a spectral analysis? What, using infrared is, or something? And we use infrared spectroscopy. That was a good guess, wasn't it? Infrared spectroscopy, right, OK. Yeah, infrared spectroscopy and inductively coupled plasma. So What's that? Yeah, Star Trek stuff. Yeah. Infrared spectroscopy, you use that to analyse the organics. Right. So degradation of the oil. And in coupled plasma technology is used for analysing the elements in the metal, so the wear metals that are degrading off the gearbox and engine. So you're looking for a percentage volume of a liquid that is metal? You're taking a sample of the oil, like a fresh sample of the oil, so it's new, yeah. and then you profile Control. that against the used samples, yeah. and uh, you're just looking for trends in certain elements or the alloys increasing or decreasing, and that can give you information about the condition of the gearbox or engine. 
as Eugene Cernan used to say in the Apollo days, don't give me spot samples, measure the trend. That's yes, the most important it's, it's thing. trend analysis, exactly, yeah. The reason why they have to do this, obviously, is because now sporting regulations mean that you can only keep the gearbox for a certain number of races and so many engines. So it's critical that they know the performance of the engine in the gearbox. And if something catastrophic happens, you know, these gearboxes are $250,000 each. So, so you need uh, to be well ahead of it. Exactly, yeah. So what kind of warnings do you get? Do you get like a one-lap warning, a ten-lap warning, or, you know, what, what sort of parameters you're working to? Miles, kilometres, tens of miles, 100 kilometres? Can you tell me? It's you've typically allowed? it's hundreds of kilometres, so each gearbox will do, I think, is about 400 kilometres. It's essentially, it's just building up the history of the gearboxes and the engines. So they get a better understanding of the tools they're in use, and they can actually change the gearbox before something blows up. That's the important thing, before it happens. Yeah. Gavin, fascinating. One of the reasons I like motorsport is I like technology, yeah. and it's the sport with some of the highest-end technology I know. You know, football doesn't interest me at all, but when there's a bit of engineering or science involved, that's my kind of sport, and your evidence that I've got exactly, the right sport. Yes, yeah. so the other stuff that these guys use, obviously these cars are just like one big aerofix. They're just all glued together. So yeah, you do the composites as we well. Do, we do the analysis of the uh, adhesives between the composites, so it's uh, important that they're cured correctly. So they use our equipment to, to study the melting points of the cure and make sure that the glue is the correct curing point. So is it like a resin? Is it like an epoxy resin? Yeah, yeah? yeah it's an epoxy resin, correct. And they basically cure it in these autoclave systems and take small samples and analyse it. They do this actually at the laboratories, so the team laboratories. Most of the teams do this sort of analysis. But you don't want to put so much glue on that the car holds together for the entire season. Technically, it's just got to cross the line. If it's exactly. crossed the line, it's held together, you've used the minimum amount gun advantage there. Yes. Yeah. See, I've learned something at last. <laughs> Gavin, thank you very much indeed. Fascinating. Things you never hear at the British Grand Prix. Number seven. I'm telling you, the food here should be listed in the Michelin Guide. I don't know exactly how many people are here or are going to be here at Silverstone over the weekend. Perhaps 200,000 or something like that. But what are the chances of finding someone that you've been tweeting for the last week who's flown some distance to come and see this race? There's a chap sitting next to me called Doug Ellison. You live in California? Yeah, I live in Pasadena in California. But you're from over here? Yeah, I was born up in Chester, spent most of my time in Leicester and then moved out to California about just over a year ago. And you listen to Gareth Jones on Speed, you follow me on Twitter, and you knew I was going to be here, and we tried to arrange meeting up, but you traced me. You didn't yeah. use space technology to do it. No, I could, you know, call in some help from work, but uh, no, just walk up and down the Vale Grandstand, and here you are. So, <laughs> be rude not to come and say hi. And how you enjoy the British Grand Prix on the 20th anniversary of your first one here? It's very nice to be back, actually. The place looks so different, and the cars sound ear-bleedingly different. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, Doug, Atlantis went up yesterday. JPL, you don't have any association with Atlantis, do you? The, the punchline is, uh, if it needs air, we don't care. But actually, I, <laughs> I, I do care. I, I managed to catch a little bit of it. And, you know, it's the end of an era. I mean, for my entire life, the shuttle's been it. You know, that's yeah. been the thing. And for people who like space, those events like Challenger and Columbia, they are kind of like, where were you when JFK was shot kind yes. of moments. Yes, you, know, yes. you, you know those moments. It's going to be awkward having nothing flying out of Florida with people on it for a while. But hopefully... 
Elon Musk and, and others can start filling that gap as soon as possible. I'm very excited about Falcon 9. If they can build that rocket and get it developed and stable as quickly as they've done with the first Falcon, then... Sorry, Falcon Heavy is the big one, isn't it? Yeah, That's but, the Falcon, one. but Falcon 9 should carry Dragon and people. Hopefully, you know, if they can get the money and if the politicians can get their act together, maybe in a couple of years. So. Listen, I talk to you about space technology all day, especially <laughs> as you've just, he's just given me a NASA patch, which I'm going to sew on my jacket. Thank you for that, Doug. You work for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. What is it you do there? I'm in visualisation, so my job is to take kind of the, the unintelligible of what the engineers do, and we put it in a browser in real time for the public to watch. So it's creating animations or real-time graphics to try and explain to the general public what all the engineers at JPL do. And can we see that on the JPL website? Yeah, there's a big project called Eyes on the Solar System that puts the entire... I'm being pointed at. Have you seen that? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm a bit of a fan, actually. I think this, this is the fan going in the, in the opposite direction. I'm its technical director. Oh! <laughs> what are the chances of that happening? Listen, I'm going to leave Jonathan and Doug to yeah, talk space. Because, you know, we, we do do space on this programme, but we're at the British Grand Prix. I've got to talk cars. So, excuse us. We're going to talk space for a minute. See you later. You never hear at the British Grand Prix. Number nine. Ooh, a swimming pool. I wish I brought my cozy. Last year on. Last year at the British. said get fresh. Yeah, I did. I nearly did. I nearly did. Yeah. Well, all right. That's Last on the, year, on the podcast formerly known as, as Sniff get, Petrol. No, get fresh on Sniff Speed. Get, get I don't know. <laughs> Last year, when we were at the British Grand Prix, you know, we were here at the Virgin Racing Weekend, and as about. 11 o'clock at night, I attempted to record a piece with Zog and Richard. Richard had been here relaxing since about 4 o'clock in the afternoon waiting relaxing. for us. Relaxing. Relaxing. Yeah. So there was a point on the show at which we didn't make quite as much sense as we normally do. Which that, is very that's not anyway. saying very much, is it? That's <laughs> But here we are at 11 o'clock again at the Virgin Racing Weekend at Stowe School. And would you believe, in the background, that is, I kid you not, I'm not making this up, Sakon Yamamoto, the former, I think he, he had a drive for HRT last season. He was certainly a super a goody driver. And he's DJing tonight. Last year we had this whole thing going about Timo Glock DJing that nobody believed. But Virgin have done it because, of course, Sakon is one of their spare drivers. And not a bad DJ, actually. No, he's doing all right. And he's not just here for, you know, three tracks. He's been there for, about 40 minutes so far, yeah. thereabouts, yeah. which is cracking. Yeah, it isn't just a PR stunt. Sakon has no. got some tune. No, he's doing a grand job. I feel like a complete failure because I'm sober. Well, <laughs> ish, ish. Ish, come on, everything's yeah, relative. Just, that's not the way things are done on this podcast, is it? You failed to bring... Not at 11 game. o'clock before this race. Yeah, that's right. Now, listen, Jonathan, I haven't really explained who you are, but Jonathan worked with me on a programme called How To for a great number of years, and he was my producer. Which means I, the rubbish you spouted I wrote. That's so true. So we're equally yeah. liable for He's it, the yeah. man who made me sound remotely interesting. Well, and, the other way around. <laughs> and Jonathan, like me, has a passion for all things science, engineering and technology, and has been an F1 fan for a number of years, but have drifted away in the yeah, last ten years. I'm, I'm one of those people who used to watch a whole lot of stuff and follow it pretty closely, and then I guess about ten years ago I started drifting away. Why? 
was just dull. Yeah. And post-Senna, actually. So, having said that, you've come back to F1 in the 21st century with DRS and Kurs and qualifying yeah, in three parts. What's it like? To a virgin... No pun intended. A virgin yeah. viewer, what does F1 look like to you? It's the first time I've been to a Grand Prix. First time I've been to the British Grand Prix, obviously. And that sounds a bit cheeky, really, that most people listening to this will know far more about it. But it's kind of interesting as a newcomer. Everybody talks about the sound. Yeah. And I never met a cliche I didn't like, so here we go. Uh, <laughs> the sound is much richer than I'd expected. I love the sound of a Rolls-Royce Merlin at 250 knots. I'm sorry, you can't beat that. No, that's and true. I don't think they do. But it's much richer and has much more depth than you hear from the screeches that you get through your telly. Even good speakers on your telly, nah, it's better than that. There's a lot more going on, there's a lot more complexity that you can hear, and that's kind of fun. You can hear the elements cranking away. Interesting you say that because the plan for the next generation of engines for F1 means that we're going away from 2.4 litre V8s to 1.6 litre V6 engine. It's the smart bi-turbo engines, isn't it? That's the what? The smart, the smart, bi- <laughs> the smart bi-turbo engines. With it. The Brabus engine from the yeah, smart, yeah. The smart V6, yeah. So, that's going to make it sound less visceral. It's going to be more strident. It's going to be a higher frequency. It's going to be sharper. Yeah, higher frequency. And the engines won't rev as high as they do now. They're down to 15,000 uh, But each cylinder's going faster. You see, Jonathan understands Not about the dynamics of the engine. No. Do you think that'll spoil it? I think it's, it's on the limit of screechy at the minute. Okay, so GP3 was just bizarre in that we were at Vale. And they're pretty much off the throttle there. So we could hear them starting to open up as they went round into the start straight. But where we were, the brake squeal was louder for yeah. most of them. And is that a vision of F1 to come, where the engine's going to be so quiet that the brakes will do the... No, OK, so I follow F1 enough to know that one of Eccleston's big mantras is that the sound is a large part of it. Yeah. And he's got to be right. Yeah. And if GP3 sound is where they're heading with F1, no. But then when they are on the throttle, they're growlier. Not it, too much higher frequency, please. Not too much higher frequency. <laughs> there you go. There's one random fan. Jonathan, I've brought you to the British Grand Prix for the first time, and you've talked about the sound, right? I'm going to take you to Le Mans next year. If you want to hear the sound of cars... I saw you about a month ago. And as soon as I walked in the door, you sat me down and played me samples of different cars going past. Yes. And I thought I was listening to bits of Star Wars soundtrack. That yeah. was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Sound has been cool today. But the thing I guess I hadn't expected and I should have done is that more important than the racing has been the people. Okay, it's qualifying today, so there hasn't really been racing. But the folks we've met and the listeners of the podcast that we've bumped into that have come up and introduced themselves and thrust things in your hand. Doug from JPL. Yeah. What a guy. What a fantastic guy. Forget the racing. We were talking about Mars for an hour. (laughs) And And that was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, the folks we've met here at the Virgin Weekend have been fantastic. And I guess, you know, it's about... 15 years since I did this kind of thing and it was air shows and that's really nerdy nah this is a bit more grown up yeah I've really enjoyed well, it's been fantastic drivers whenever they turn up at any race are asked oh you know do you like racing at Suzuki do you like racing at Spa and they all say yes I like racing here and they give a reason and then they find a reason for any circuit that they're on why they like it the reason that they give for liking racing at Silverstone it's a fast circuit it's a challenging circuit but 
the fans are very knowledgeable. And I think that is very true of people who like F1, not just in Britain, but around the world. But in Britain, because of the long history of the success of the British in Formula One, we have a deep-seated knowledge about it. And so you can enter into a conversation here and make a joke about Zolt Baumgartner, and people will get it. And it's the same on the podcast. You know, the people here are the same as the people who listen to the show. But that's a British Grand Prix thing. That's not an F1 thing. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a British F1 fan thing. So this is the one to come to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good place to start. <laughs> Things you'll never hear at the British Grand Prix. Number four. Best ever race was when Zolt Baumgartner finished first, second and third here. In a Minardi. That is the sound of the RAF display team, the Red Arrows. It's race day and we're installed at the race. We have general admission and we've stopped to watch the Red Arrows do their thing. And I just realised, my good pal Jonathan here, who's been with me over this adventure the last few days, you know an awful lot about aircraft, more than I know, and that's too much. <laughs> now, listen, tell me a little bit. Oh, it's gone upside down. There we go, I can recognise that much. It's called inverted. Is it? Oh, right. <laughs> What sort of constraints do the Red Arrows have to fly under? Well, the conditions here, it's raining at the moment, you can hear it on the property, listen. Actual rain. They start off doing the completely flat display, which is just a bit more sedate, bless them, and it's lovely. But What do you not... mean by a flat display? Okay, so if the cloud base is too low and they can't pull up into a loop, then everything has to be done absolutely flat. But the clouds just lifted a little bit in places, and one of the manoeuvres they just did there, I think, was from the intermediate display, the rolling display, which I think they still do. It suddenly looked like that. So they're transferring from one display form to another as they fly, which it's quite nice to see. It's always a treat. Someone, as we were delivered here in the Virgin Discovery, the driver, Nick, hang on, there they go. Four red arrows flying, five of them there. I'm just getting better glasses. In uh, very close formation, head to toe, and now they've evolved into a nice nice formation change. Very classic formation change. RDFC. So they've gone from line astern to a flying V with two planes going out either side to form the V, and then the legs of the V have just swapped sides. Genius. I've never seen that. They're making it up as they go along now. No, no, that's that's, that's a little planned. That's more planned (laughs) than we are. Wow, the Red Arrows! I wasn't expecting them. Gareth Jones on speed. Well, before the British Grand Prix starts, let's bring this show to an end. Jonathan, very briefly, you haven't been to a Grand Prix ever. In terms of the Grand Prix experience, I know we haven't had the race I yet. Say, yeah, yeah, I haven't been to Grand Prix ever. I still haven't. Technically, <laughs> we're about half an hour away. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. It is everything you expect, which is both good and bad. Yeah. Mostly good. Yeah. The virgin side of it's yeah. very good. The campsite, the transfer, oh, the party last night. Oh, my throat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can hear it in our voices. <laughs> we're more growly than the reds. And I think Zog nailed it last year when he said that what the Virgin Racing Weekend does 
is going to bring a, a little bit of that kind of Le Mans camping spirit to the British Grand Prix, which is more like a one or two day event. And That's it, not a bad thing. Yeah, you were saying last night, you were trying to work out what it was that Virgin as a brand means to F1 and what they can do differently. And, and being a bit more open about it and a bit more kind of inclusive was how that campsite feels and that's quite a feat yeah i've said it before f1 is exclusive you can't come in here but when you go to a party and you've got team members and indeed sakon yamamoto their test driver djing it blurs the barriers between the team and the people who support the team and that's a very virgin thing and it would be very easy for that to feel very forced and contrived and it doesn't they're very open and flexible and friendly and happy about it credit to them. Now all they're going to do is get out there and beat every other team on the grid. We wish them well. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed at the British Grand Prix with Jonathan Sanderson. Goodbye. And me, Gareth Jones. I won't tell you the results of the race because we don't know it at this time, but by the time you've downloaded this show, I'm sure you'll know what happens. We're going to quite literally sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, that doesn't get more British than that, does it? The Red Arrows at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix in the rain. Oh, I see a little bit of blue sky. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site or follow us on Twitter, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>